you would turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 8. Luke 8, we're going to be reading verses 4 through 18. This can be found on page 1099. I don't often say this, and I will say it now just so we are reminded of it, but when we take our Bibles out, it is encouraged that you always keep it open through the sermon itself, that you would have it in front of you, that you'd be able to reference it and look at what we're reading, the, the proof for what's being said, as you would search the scriptures. Keep it open and have it in front of you throughout the service. Before we read, let's ask for God's blessing. Father in heaven, we come before your word, and in your providence, we come before you with a passage that speaks of the going out of your very word. In this passage, we see how different people will receive it, how we will respond to the revelation of the Lord, and we pray that all of us here would see very clearly the the proper response. That though there is within us weakness, we would be the the soil that is good and that produces a bountiful harvest. Lord, speak to us in your word. Help it to be clear in our minds and hearts. Transform our life. We come before you in humility and we sit before your word in great humility because this is far beyond us and our wisdom. In the weakness of our flesh, we want to think that we have the answers. We want to think that our opinions are what is right, and yet we pray instead that we would be shaped and molded fully by your revelation to us, and in this help us to be wise and to give you glory. We ask this in your name. Amen. Luke 8, beginning in verse 4. And when a crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, He said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be, made, that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. 
For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has, will be taken away. Thus sends the reading of God's word. People of God, let me tell you a real story from a pastor who went to visit a family grieving the loss of a close friend, an unexpected, tragic loss. As he visited this family, there was a number of topics that were discussed, a number of topics and questions this family had, ranging from how God could allow this, how could God even exist, asking to explain the problem of evil, how evil could be present. It led to topics like total depravity, the origins of sin, and how the gospel is the only remedy and answer. And so what happened at this time, as this pastor met with this grieving family, the word of God was cast before them. The gospel was cast, the seed came into soil. And upon reflection of this meeting and and the time afterwards, this pastor was struck that this was actually a real-life illustration and and even a real-life fulfillment of this very parable of those who had heard the word. One of the members of the family was a bit indifferent, not really involved in the discussion, didn't seem to care about the conversation, not exactly hostile, but just uninterested. The truth was before them, but it passed over their heads. This is the soil along the path. Indifference. The word never even made it to their minds, never even entered their ears. They were swept away. For another of the family, it seemed that the word had sprung up quickly. This was one who was especially grieved by the passing of this friend, who who had felt it very intensely and acutely, and the gospel seemed to be greeted with joy. There seemed to be a springing up of, of faith, and there seemed to be something that grew. But as time went on, as the the trial and that acuteness of the trial wore away, as time slipped by, there wasn't much fruit there. What seemed to have spring up, sprung up in joy sort of just withered away. This is the soil on the rock where there was no root. Another one of the family responded with acceptance as well. But over time, it just sort of got crowded out. You see, it, it's not as if they ever would reject Christianity. And if you were to ask this member of the family, what do you believe? They would say, I am a Christian. I believe, and I occasionally go to church, I attend here, I I, I will listen at times, but it would become quite evident upon seeing their life that it just wasn't the priority, It it wasn't indifference that they faced with it, it wasn't that they were hostile to it, in fact, they would, in in theory, accept it, but it wasn't important enough. There were so many other things in life that just took priority, and so there was no fruit there either. But to another of the family, there was real response, real faith, and real fruit that was produced. From it came a very strong faith, a life of faith, a life that, w- that is turned to the Lord. You see, when God's word falls on soils, there will be a response. And we see the responses before us here in this parable. And that's why this parable is important. Every time the word of God is proclaimed, every time Jesus' message is proclaimed, this parable provides us the answers. There's four ways that it will be received. And three of them are negative. 
and one is positive. We're all very familiar with this parable. We all know it. In fact, this parable is extremely important in all the Gospels. It's this parable where Jesus explains the importance and purpose of parables themselves. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look first at the purpose of parables, because that's where Jesus takes it, right? He tells the parable to all the crowds. The disciples come to him and say, what does this mean? And then he says, this is what parables do. And then he answers the parable. So we look first at the purpose of the parable. The story is broken up into two sections between what the crowds hear and what Jesus' disciples hear. The crowd gets the simple parable, the simple illustration. They get no words of explanation. The closest they get is verse 8, which is just an exhortation. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's an interesting way of phrasing it, right? He who has ears to hear, let them hear. Well, all humans, or unless there's some sort of malady, have ears and hear. So clearly Jesus is saying there is some specific thing that you must have to be able to hear this. To be able to hear this message, you need to have a special set of ears. Not just the same one that everyone else has. All these crowds are gathering around. That's what the text says. Crowds from all over keep coming to him. And there's a large crowd gathered, and so he proclaims this parable. But imagine trying to understand verses 4 through 8. You can look at those in your Bibles as you see that parable itself. Try to understand that with no explanation whatsoever. Also, with no prior New Testament revelation. If you were to come to that as an Old Testament believer who has the Old Testament behind them and you hear this parable, what would it mean? How would you interpret it? You see, it's shrouded in mystery. We, all, we automatically know what, what's coming next, so we connect the explanation to the parable itself, but this would be a bit strange. The parable itself isn't odd. That was a well-known teaching device. This is what the rabbis would use. They would teach in a parable. So the method isn't strange, but its interpretation is in doubt. That's why the disciples say to Jesus, what does this mean? Explain it to us. And Jesus says why he explains it in parables. We learn that parables first explain the kingdom of God. This is important for us as we go through the Gospels. Every parable has a purpose, and the purpose centers on the kingdom itself. It explains something about the nature of the kingdom, perhaps the inhabitants of the kingdom, maybe the timeline of the kingdom. When will it come? How will it grow? How long will it last? Think of like the mustard seed. That explains something of the nature and timing of the kingdom. That it's going to start out small and insignificant, grow and blossom into a large plant. It explains the kingdom of God. And this is true of all parables. And you're going to miss parables in their understanding if you don't grasp what Jesus is saying here. There's a purpose, a kingdom purpose to parables. So that's the first reason Jesus preaches in parables. It explains the kingdom of God. But second, we learn that parables are specifically designated and designed for two audiences. For true disciples. It's designed for true disciples. And for true disciples, God will give them the ears to hear. They will have the mysteries of the kingdom message pulled back. The veil will be removed from their eyes. They will have the revelation of God before them. And Jesus is even giving it to the disciples at this moment. 
The crowds aren't there anymore. His disciples have come to him. Jesus, what does this mean? And there's no hesitation. He explains the purpose of parables, and he explains the parable to them that his followers would understand. To them, they receive that mystery pulled back, the knowledge. That's the first audience of a parable. But there's another audience. In the text, it's described as the rest. Jesus says in verse 10, To you, the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but for others, for the rest, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. These words in the Bible are in quotation marks. This is a quotation from Isaiah. Isaiah 6, verses 9 to 10. In Isaiah 6, That's that story which we read often in our church when we enter worship. We'll read of Isaiah's vision in the temple where he sees the glory of the Lord seated on his throne and he responds with, I am unclean. And the angel takes that coal, purifies his lips. And then the Lord from the temple throne says, Who shall I send? And Isaiah says, Here am I, send me. And this is what the Lord commissions him with. These words from Isaiah 6, 9 to 10. Go and say to this people, so that's the people of the Lord, Israel. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Jesus then is applying that very quotation to his own life and ministry, to his own teaching. It's proclaimed in parables because there are those who will hear. Even in Isaiah's day, it's not as if there wasn't a soul among Israel who responded to Israel's message. No, there were those who responded. There were the faithful, the chosen, the one God gave ears to hear. But for a great majority of those who would have the revelation of God put before them, it would be greeted in three different ways. Three negative responses that we see of the soils in this passage itself. You see, they'd have eyes, but they wouldn't see. They'd have ears, but they wouldn't hear. The message of God, God's word, brings a dual response. It brings one of acceptance or it brings one of rejection. And what we see is that these partial ways of embracing God's word is as negative in one sense, not not that the degree of sin is as bad, but it amounts to the same thing. If you don't receive the word, if you're not the good soil that receives it and has it blossom, you fall into the category of those who don't hear, of those who don't understand. And as antagonistic as you may be to God's word or as indifferent as you may be to God's word. This result is the same. There is no production of fruit. The word comes and there's no crop. Those who have ears but do not hear. You see, Jesus shows that God's revelation brings this dual response. It will either bring fruit for those destined to hear it, or it will bring about hardening of hearts and judgment. That's what a parable brings. Fruit or judgment. The parables reveal to the disciples the mysteries of God. They have access to these mysteries. Jesus speaks to them. He proclaims it to them. And by the Holy Spirit's work, they have ears to hear. 
And the Holy Spirit will use this text for even us here today. It's by using these exhortations, it's by using these calls to hear, that, the, that we would respond and pray to the Holy Spirit, ask to receive the word, ask to be fruitful, and ask that our faith would grow through this, that we would stand firm, and the Holy Spirit uses that. The parables function as a form of judgment, though, where the story is perceived but not comprehended. We're in a way in which the revelation of God is concealed. Now, what does that do? We, we talk about, as Reformed believers, the clarity of Scripture. We even have a big word. We talk about the perspicuity of Scripture. It means it's clarity. Does this undermine that? Why would, why would Jesus knowingly and purposefully use a device that was designed to veil and be mysterious to some and then open it up to others? Well, the clarity of Scripture is certainly true. What that means is that the message of salvation, what needs to be known to be saved, is clearly taught in God's Word, is clearly revealed by Him in it. But that doesn't mean that every part of it is equally clearly revealed. And it doesn't mean that God will still not, at times, purposely shroud in mystery what He's revealing. Calvin says this in the only way that Calvin can. There are two ways in which God deprives them of the light of his doctrine. Sometimes God speaks in a dark manner what might be more clearly expressed. And sometimes he explains his mind fully without confusion or metaphor, but strikes their senses with dullness and their minds with stupidity so that they are blind amidst bright sunshine. What's Calvin saying? What, what's, what's Jesus saying in the purpose of parables? God doesn't have the same purpose for all men. Not all soil is the same. This is important for us to know. It's important for us to know as Christians who go out and, and proclaim God's word, how will God's word be met? Whether you're a pastor in the pulpit, whether you're an elder, whether you're a congregant, we proclaim the word of the Lord and how will that be met? How will friends receive it? How will family members receive it? And we know we have this revealed to us. This is how God's word is met in response. And it's a warning. It's a warning to heed this call. That's why Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Be humble enough to open your ears, to, to take the plugs out of them, to take your fingers out of them. There were many in the crowds that he was speaking to who were doing just that. Like the Pharisees who would have plugged their ears. It would have been the little kid sticking their fingers in their ears and going, blah, nah, 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 so that they couldn't hear the truth. The fingers need to be removed. Hear God's word and don't just sort of respond. Don't just think it's a nice thing. Don't just try to seek some sort of blessing from it. That's why we read verse 18, or why we read verse 18. Jesus says, take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. You see, to the one who does listen, to one who has that wisdom from the Lord, they will gain even more wisdom. To the one who has the ears to hear, they will receive more understanding. They will, uh, they will receive the revelation of the Lord and have a greater appreciation for who God is. Their faith will grow. More will be given to him. But to the one who doesn't have, to the one who doesn't have the ears to hear, what he thinks he has will be taken away. Again, notice that dual response, fruit and blessing or judgment. Preaching still does the same thing today. 
It's no light matter opening God's word either personally. Just think of that. Think of the Bible sitting here, sitting on a coffee table. You flip the page open, and what's before you is the words of life, warning of the way of life and the way of death. What's before you is God's revelation, so to even glance down and and read some of the words there confront you with a decision. Will you heed this? If you don't, there's judgment. It's not like a novel. It's not even like a history book that you can just open and, and the information's there if you want it or not. The revelation of God brings two responses. It requires one. And we are to heed the warning that we aren't those who miss it, who stop our ears, who reject it, and thus face God's displeasure. In fact, face the parable in its negative sense. The parable is before them, just as the word is before us, we could read it. And yet we could still face that judgment by not hearing it. Rather be those who respond, rather be disciples who respond to the Lord and listen, who hear preaching, who hear the word of God, and are the good soil. And that's what we see in our next point, the different soils. How will the response of God's word go about? How will people see it? This, this parable we know is the parable of the sower. It would be much more accurate to name it the parable of the soils. Jesus is the sower, but the emphasis isn't on the sower. It's on the soil that receives the word. The seed in the parable is the word of God. And when it goes forth into the soils, what will happen? And so we see the different responses. First, we see the soil along the path. What I'm going to do for clarity is I'm going to read the whole portion of the text that deals with the parable. This will be verses 5 and verses 11 and 12. So I'm going to combine the actual parable and then Jesus' explanation of it. So we'll read verse 5 and then go right to verses 11 and 12. And I'll do this with each of the soils. We read it this way. As he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. In the parable itself, what the crowds heard, birds came and took away the seed. It was in keeping with the imagery of the parable. No one would have been surprised at the imagery of the parable that Jesus was giving. These soils and the seeds, when they land on it, uh, a farmer, one who was well acquainted with his own land, would have the knowledge to be able to say, yes, that seed sprung up, but it's rocky soil there. Yes, that seed sprung up there, but there's thorns there. It won't produce fruit. That seed that I cast there, it fell on that path. It's going to be swept away. You see, the sower would know these things, and and the people who heard this message would know it, and it's in keeping it with it then. They would have seen the birds come, and the birds take the seed away. But in the explanation, Jesus doesn't talk about birds. Who's coming to take the way, the, the, the word of the Lord away from those who would hear it? It's the devil. The devil takes it away. It never even has a chance. This means whether you are indifferent to the word of God or hostile and antagonistic to it, whether you hear it and don't care or whether you hear it and hate it, 
You are both equally the puppets of the devil. You're attached to the strings and manipulated by the devil himself. That's where your indifference leads you. That's where your hostility to God's word would lead you, to the devil's own camp. And this doesn't mean that you would be a worshiper of the devil. It just means that he has full reign. You don't even receive the word of God. Your heart is so compacted like a path that has been traveled. It's just swept away. It's not there. And, and we see this response so often, either in just the, the pure indifference or the antagonism and hatred with which some hear the word of God. They don't even realize that the devil's own influence keeps the word from them. That the way of life had been briefly thrown to them and never even had a chance to implant in themselves in that soil. It was just swept away. The seed that is God's word falls on the soil, but it never hears. The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. And this is, it's not as if they are pure victims here. This is in keeping with their own disposition of their hearts, right? They don't care. They're indifferent. It's not as if we would say, oh, the poor soil of the path. Maybe they would have believed, but they didn't. Never had a chance. It's not like that. By not caring, by being hostile, they were never even open to receive it. That's why they're at the mercy of the devil. Are you one who doesn't care about God's word? Or worse still, are you one hostile to it? Do you realize the danger that you are in at the devil's own whim? That because of your position of your heart, you won't even recognize the words of life. As Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You don't have those ears. If this is what describes you personally, do you realize that you're falling into the devil's trap? Do you realize that your hostility and indifference means you will not be saved. That's the first soil. But then we see the next, the soil on the rock, verses 6 and 13. God's word fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. Have we not seen the revivals and the altar calls and the service trips, the youth group service trips and the Bible camps that, that all seem to produce in someone these great responses of joy, these emotional responses? I've witnessed it firsthand. I've been on serve trips where, where everyone got so caught up into what was happening, it was like there was some drug that they were on, where there was, there was just tears and emotion and joy and happiness, almost more than what made sense. I remember thinking at times, like, what happened to everyone? Now that's not describing my holiness, it's probably more describing my, my nature in a negative way, but I sat there and thought, what is going on? Because as you see this, as, as you get swept up into this, there can be a response of joy. Or as I began with that true story, in, in times of trouble, the Bible offers some comfort. 
The Bible might offer some direction and you might receive it with some joy and so that soil initially springs forth in a plant. And it seems that there's a reception to it. Many of those who I went on that surf trip with or, or who attended these camps with where there seemed to be this response have since turned away from the church or, or in most cases, just aren't at church. It's just not there anymore. You see, we see this response play before us all the time. We're supposed to be cautious with these. Not that we're negative. It's not as if we want their response to be, to be a false one. But we're cautious. That's why in First Timothy, one of the requirements of a leader, one of the requirements of an elder, is that they be not one young in the faith. And the whole point is that they, you would see that this one is rooted deep, that the word of God has been implanted, that the roots of the word of God are deep in this one, and it has stood tests. It's not a faith that just falls away. It's not one that had sprung up, even if it seems to spring up with so much fervor. These emotional responses, they can be very great, and, and they can be real and true. I'm not denying that. But one of the, the truest tests of a faith is just time. The passage of time. Is it real or was it fake? Was it more what that, that word offered you comfort and joy initially? Or, or, or even what did it offer to you understanding? Intellect. This, this book, this revelation of God gives to us great knowledge. In fact, the principles, what's put forward here, can put us far ahead of many in the world just because this is the true revelation of God. But if that's why you receive it, and meet it initially with joy, that's not saving faith, that's not the word that's implanted. The word becomes in service to you, not you in response to it. Are you like this? Be sure that you're actually firmly rooted in God's word and that God's word really matters to you. And that you're cultivating it. You see, the imagery of planting is, is a good one, a strong one. The word just isn't cast into the soil. Is there cultivation and watering and nourishment and development? That's what will produce a hundredfold crop of fruit. Is that what we do, or are we enamored with this phase of life, or what God's word offers? Do we just spring up in joy and then see our faith wither away? The next soil, the soil among the thorns. We see this in verses 7 and verse 14. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. What's the difference here between this and the last soil? The rocky soil, which, by the way, wasn't just that there, it's on a rock. There were portions of a field and fields in those days which were the bedrock, which there, there wasn't just anything able to take a root and so portions of the field wouldn't take, wouldn't grow. What's the difference between that and, and this, the soil among the thorns? Well, in the one, in the, in the rocky soil, it, it sprouts and withers and dies, right? It's, it's, it's there for a moment, but then it is gone. 
There's, there's really even no profession of faith after that. But what about this one? This is that it it's, seems to be there. If you peel back the thorns and weeds, there, there's a plant, but it doesn't produce fruit. These are those who would, say, who would never reject God's word, who would always say they are Christians. They would always say they have faith, but there's never any evidence of it. See, the plant didn't just wither, it's just plain, sim- plain and simply choked. There's no nutrients left for it to produce a crop. The plant's there, nothing in return. How common is this? I would say all these soils apply in every situation and, and, and to our life. But if we, if we had to just characterize what is going on in, in our culture, we'd see it all. But I think we would see this so common, such, such a normal response of the quote-unquote Christian today. It's the choked Christian. And we need to be careful that that's not us. Jesus even gives reasons for why this would be, for why these would be ones who hear the word and seem to accept it, but are so concerned with other things. He gives the reasons why. He says in the text, the cares of the world. The cares of the world. What are cares of the world? Well, it's hardships, it's trials, sickness, it's pain, it's health issues, it's worrying about your health. It can be sickness that takes your health away. It can be an overabundant concern about your health. So you're exercising all the time. So all you're concerned with is health. Sickly parents, needs of children, jobs, long hours, you name it. These are the cares of the world. They're not wrong in and of themselves. They're not wrong per se, but when the cares of the world become predominant, they choke out what would be a faith, what would be a response to God's word. I just don't have time to respond to God's word. I I have so much work to do, or the kids were doing this, or I have to take care of my parents. And, And you see what happens. None of those are wrong things. Some of those things are things you absolutely should and must do. But when there's no concern for the word of God, when there's no priority of the word of God and of faith, will there be growth? Will there be fruit? I understand it's, it's easy just to say this, right? It's much harder when we're living to actually do it because what we think is there's not even a minute in the day that I have to myself. That's, that's what we can think. There's no time. And, and we can list off all these worthy needs, all these legitimate cares, I heard one pastor describe that well, and in great sympathy to that, as we all can relate to the busyness of life. He said this, I think he was exactly right. What we desire, we find time to do. Even amidst the busyness of life, what we actually care about, what we desire, we find time for. And the, the good soil will find time for cultivation of the word of God. We'll respond to it. It will be real. It won't, it won't be choked out by the cares of life. Or it won't be choked out by the other side of that coin that Jesus says, the pleasures of life. What are the pleasures of life? Well, I'll just rattle them off. Food, drink, entertainment, cars, boats, trucks, guns, hunting, vacations, novels, movies, clothes, shoes, makeup, hair, appearance, money, jewelry, and we can go on and on and on. 
Again, just like in the previous example, none of those are bad in and of themselves. But how many of us have seen those we love and care about greatly, who even profess a faith, where this is them? Where the priority is their children and their, the sports programs or the drama club or whatever it is and your work and your long hours and the pleasures and cares of life that are literally thorns that just choke away faith. You're swept along by circumstances. And what suffers? Faith. Those who are like this soil, they're the ones who are surprised when a trial comes and they're the ones who say, I, I've been really faithful. I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I, I just don't understand why this would happen to me. I, I, don't really, I don't know how to respond to this. It's those who are surprised when those type of things happen. It's, it, it's when they've been Christians in name and actually have convinced themselves that they believe. And perhaps they don't. These are the dangers these things, cares of life, the pleasures of life, are made into idols. And again, the imagery is very powerful. It's of thorns and weeds that are surrounding what the, the word of God had been put into this soil, and there's nothing left for the word of God. And we see that in people all these times. We reserve things for ourselves, and what is ending up given to God is nothing. All these hours of the day that we reserve for these purposes, all these, all these ideas in our heads that we reserve for ourselves, and all that's left to produce a fruit is zero. These types, these soils, are dangerous. They're especially dangerous as we see how easy they are to fall into. And what we should take these as warnings is, is to respond, not by thinking wholesale that I'm a, I am this soil, but that we would heed the warning. Jesus is giving this as a warning that this is not the soil you are to be. This is not how you respond to God's word. That's the point of this parable. How do you respond to the word of God and what does it produce within you? And then we see that in the last soil, the good soil, verses 8 and 15. And some fell into good soil, and they grew and yielded a hundredfold. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. What's amazing about this is the, the production of this good soil. The production of God's people. This is, this is very encouraging to us who hear this today, who desire to follow God's word God will produce through us a bountiful yield, great fruit. He will work in the hearts of his people. Their faith will be strong. Their faith will be a testament to the world around them. Their faith even will be worthy, not by their own merits, but by what God is working in them for him even to praise. For him at the end of the day to say, well done, good servant. For what he's producing in them, the production, the bounty, a hundredfold yield all because they received the word of God. Jesus is there. He's casting the seed. He's the sower. The crowds are before him. There's the field. Be the good soil is the warning. Heed it. Listen. Repent. Believe.
That's Jesus' message. And that would be then our, our summary statement for all of this. Take care how you hear God's word. There are obstacles in the way of fruitful faith. These obstacles are only overcome by holding fast to the word with an honest, good heart and bearing fruit with patience. That's what he says in verse 15. It's bearing fruit, hold fast to it in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And in that you can have assurance that God will work in you as you receive his word you will respond with faith. See, we can take all these soils, and we might want to ask this. We might want to take this parable and wrench it from its meaning and say something like, are all these other soils saved? You know, can you be a Christian that is, is choking and choked out by the cares of the world or the pleasures of life? Can you still be saved with that? That's actually not a question that even works with this parable, because that's not the parable's intent. As one commentator says, the parable is not Jesus trying to provide teaching on the minimum requirement to enter the kingdom. That's not what he's doing. It's not, now this soil you can just get in by the skin of your teeth, and this soil is a little bit better, and if you're the good soil, hey, that's the best. That's not it. The point is he's giving information about how we respond to the word of God, what the word of God produces, the fruit that comes from it. That's his point. And so to ask, well, are these other soils saved, is to ask a question that doesn't even fit or work with the parable. It's not asking that. It's talking about the fruit that's, that's produced by the word of God. And at the end of the day, this parable is meant to characterize the whole life. It is meant for us to take it, take stock of our life, to even, to even put ourselves forward and, and say at the end, at my last day on earth, if I looked back upon my life, what would characterize me? Is it that I was indifferent and hostile to the word of God, and thus I was the soil like the path? Is it that I responded at a time with joy, but had since turned away and not cared about it at all, and was thus on the rocky soil? Is it that I always professed a faith, but really what concerned me was life itself, and other things? Or can we look back and say at, at, at every moment God was working and cultivating in us that we had ears to hear, that we responded in humility and repentance, that the soil produced fruit? Take care, verse 18 says, take care then how you hear. Jesus is the light of the world. You don't take that light and snuff it out. You don't take that light and hide it away. You are led by that light. You take care how you follow it. You take care how you hear. Hold fast to the word with an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. God's word needs to be met with an honest good heart. And what does an honest good heart do when it is met with God's word? It, it repents. In honesty and truth, it says we got nothing. There's nothing we can offer for ourselves. We honestly see that we are the poor of the world with nothing to offer God. And a good heart is the one that is receptive. It's ready. It's fertile soil. It responds to that message, and it bears fruit with patience. Take care how you hear, people of God. He who has ears to hear, 
let him hear. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we see your word before us and we hear this warning as well as an encouragement. And in the warning we see that we are to be receptive fully to Jesus and his message. That the gospel would produce in us a great fruit, a great harvest, and that is our encouragement. For it isn't done our own strength. We turn to you asking that you would give to us the ears to hear rather than the judgment that comes from your word. Rather than the judgment of a parable, we would be open and hear the mysteries of the, and the wonder of the good news you bring. Lord, help us to cultivate in our lives a full response to your word. Protect us from the obstacles to true faith, from the obstacles to hear your word. Work it in us, Father. For yours is the glory that we desire to bring, and the way we wish the way we wish to bring that glory is by seeing you for who you are, by even desiring you fully. We ask this in the name of our dear Savior Jesus Christ.